Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. Today we're live streaming from Jolt Radio in Miami, Florida, the southernmost port city on the Atlantic coast of the United States. Miami is a gateway to the Caribbean, a culturally diverse archipelago known as the crucible of the modern world. People from the Americas, Africa, Europe, and Asia have long converged in the region, immersing the Caribbean in a conversation around diversity for centuries. Now here we are in the year 2018. Racial and ethnic tensions around the planet are on the rise, Demands for universal human rights continue to go unmet. Privileged and economically fragile nations alike have reached an ideological impasse on the subject of diversity. We're battling a truly destructive level of nationalism. At this fraught moment, I am among those who seek out experiences that will open up narrowed perspectives Enter the Caribbean artists and filmmakers producing some of today's boldest cultural commentary. Drawing on individual and shared histories, they offer to broaden our view of the world. These are the voices we're going to share on today's show. Keep listening to learn about the birth of the Third Horizon Film Festival and find out what the new Tout Monde, All the World Festival, aims to bring to Miami. Both offer opportunities for Caribbean creatives to introduce their work in Miami, a city that has evolved over the first two decades of the 21st century into an international platform for contemporary art and culture. We'll begin with the Third Horizon Caribbean Film Festival, entering its third year the festival highlights the most adventurous creative endeavors in film, art, and music emerging from the Caribbean and its sprawling diaspora. I reach out to filmmaker Jason Fitzroy Jeffers, member of the Third Horizon Collective that founded the annual film festival. The Knight Foundation funded the festival's 2016 debut. Let's start by talking about the part of the world that inspires this festival. It's a Caribbean film festival. Well, it's concerned with uh, the Caribbean and the Caribbean diaspora, as well as the diasporas that formed the Caribbean. All of our members hail from the region. I myself am from Barbados. Our key members are from Jamaica, Guyana, Trinidad, Haiti, Cuba. The name comes from, I grew up in Barbados hearing so often that I was from the third world, or as I like to say, the so-called third world. And I often digested media and entertainment from the States and, and the UK. And because I never saw myself in it, it kind of positioned you to think that your story was somehow less important than that which was being projected at you. And with time, of course, I grew to understand that that was certainly not the case. 
and that in many ways the stories and the cultures from the so-called third world powered and supported the so-called first without necessarily being recognized for doing so. In time, as I connected with my partners and we decided to form this, and we're filmmakers ourselves, so we're primarily concerned with making film. In time, we realized that we needed to have a platform to celebrate the work of our peers around the Caribbean and its diaspora. And so the name Third Horizon speaks to a moment, a place, a frame of mind where the stories of the so-called third world are celebrated and supported just as much as those uh, as the so-called first. I love the description that you have on your website about the Caribbean being the crucible of the modern world. So often the Caribbean, as it exists in the popular imagination, is as this place of frolic, as a tourist destination. But if you really look at the history of the place, every culture of the world has passed through there. The making of the modern world, it's almost as if the Caribbean is the furnace. <laughs> you know, It's this spot through which all the raw materials pass through to create something on the other side. And I think that that is particularly informative in this current historical moment where we are being forced to confront our troubled histories, our sense of identity among all people and among all races, this new understanding of ourselves as a species. I think that if you look at the Caribbean through that lens, you can see it as a place that has lessons to teach all of us around the world of how to interact and dialogue with each other and what can come out of that. So I like to say that the Caribbean invented the remix. Or another thing I like to say is people talk about melting pots. Well, in the Caribbean, the pot melted a long time ago. The cultures that have arisen out of it are such a fusion of so many different elements and backgrounds. And that is informative for all of us now. This is just really great to have the opportunity to talk about the Caribbean in this way through film because so many stories are being told through film. And that's what I think your festival does so well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we, we try to give people insight through these films. You know, I like to describe film as an empathy bullet. You're working with image and you're working with sound. You're working with time. And a good film is a portal into somebody else's experience, into somebody else's worldview. It's a way of allowing people to understand something that may seem so distant from what they know, but really isn't. I remember when Papa Machete came to my attention through the Borscht Film Festival here a few years ago. Was that film one that you were involved in making with the collective that you're speaking of that founded this festival? Yeah, actually, Third Horizon is both a media company and a film festival. And it was largely the experience of touring with Papa Machete that inspired us to create the festival because up until that point, Third Horizon was just a production company. What we realized is as we were traveling with Papa Machete that we were often the only Caribbean people at these festivals, or at least the only Caribbean people would work at these festivals. And we started to ask ourselves, well, why is that? You know, we realized, well, there aren't that many film schools in the Caribbean. So there's a lack of history of film instruction. A lot of the technology is only just beginning to make its way into the region. And 
What's more, this is not to say that there isn't great work being produced within the region, but so often when it travels outside of the region, it's not framed within the right context and people may overlook it because they have a certain expectation of what they're going to see. And so what we realized we needed to do was to create a space where we could frame these films in in the right context and create a larger narrative around Caribbean film. So out of that, the principles of Third Horizon, the media company said, well, let's just start a festival so that we can dialogue with our peers and bring this work to the world. It was quite a gamble because it was our first production and it was made with a lot of blood, sweat, tears, every dollar savings account. We sold furniture to make it. <laughs> it gave up apartments. Yes. What is it about, Papa Machete? It's a documentary about an aging farmer in Jacmel, Haiti, who is one of the last few practitioners of a dying martial art named Tira Machete, which is Haitian machete fencing. See, during the revolution, uh, some of the slaves had learned how to European saber fence, and gradually over time, in the best Creole traditions of the Caribbean, and especially Haiti, that style merged with the African stick fighting that many of the slaves had brought over with them. And during the time of the revolution, one of the weapons that they had in abundance was the machete because it was what they used to cut down the sugar cane with. What emerged was this unique Creole syncretic martial art that you really don't see much of anymore. It's been handed down father through son and to some daughters as well since the Haitian Revolution. But it has been practiced in secret. This one particular farmer being concerned about the preservation of this art form decided to share his story with us. We came across this online. Somebody had shot a video of a very, not a film, you know, just a camera phone, filmed a snippet of them practicing this martial art. And I was like, right, we have to make a film about that. So basically just poured everything we had into it and made it happen. From the outset, we knew it was a remarkable story and that it would reach people far away, that it would really connect with audiences. So since then, it had its world premiere at Toronto International Film Festival, then it went on to Sundance, and it's screened at more than 30 festivals at this point, and it can currently be viewed on, on nationalgeographic.com, The Atlantic, and a few other websites. I think several of the films that have come through here have ended up being accessible globally, which is awesome. Your mission for the festival is all about the diversity of the region and how it's reflected in film. Absolutely, because in the Caribbean, the racial and cultural makeup of the Caribbean is so diverse that we think that the region can serve as a beacon in these really kind of muddled times we have where there's a lot of political and cultural turmoil that we're up against. Not to say that the Caribbean has it all figured out or is perfect in any way. That's not our argument. But 
there are conversations and interactions that have been going on in the region for such a long time that are instructive. This encounter with the other and then realizing the other is not necessarily as different from you as you thought initially. That's what we hope people take away from our programming, whether it's at our primary festival or the satellite events that we do in different countries and cities. Well, let's talk about what's coming up for this year. I know that your call for submissions is about to open up for short and feature film proposals. Yeah, that's right. We like to think that we have a pretty good handle on what's out there and what's coming out or what's been made recently, but there's no way to know for sure. You know, with the democratization of filmmaking and the cost of making a film plummeting in the last 10, 15 years or so. There are so many more people making film than ever before. And so we open this call for submissions so that we can see who's making what and curate a selection of the best films that are telling the story of the region and its people. Let's talk for a minute about what you're looking for in these submissions. You're looking for adventurous filmmakers, right? Yeah, that sounds about right, but not necessarily adventurous in journeying to far-off destinations and taking risks, but adventurous with a sense of daring in telling stories. So there's a certain, I think, risk one takes in fully telling your story with a degree of nuance and insight and raw honesty that may feel a little uncomfortable at times. We're looking for filmmakers who are bold, truthful, nuanced. They're at once authentic to their community, to their sense of place, but also know how to tell a story that can reach a global audience, that through the film can bring the audience, even if they're on the other side of the world, to their particular pocket of it. So we're looking, essentially looking for great storytelling, whether that's through documentary, whether that's through fiction, whether that's through animation. We're really just looking for great storytellers who feel and breathe the Caribbean deeply. And that doesn't necessarily have to be limited to the region itself. There are stories about the Caribbean diaspora. For example, right now I'm paying attention to the news coming out of the UK of the struggles that members of the Windrush generation, immigrants who came to the UK in the mid-20th century to work and were granted citizenship to do so, a lot of them have had their right to stay revoked. And it's appalling, it's shameful that this is happening, that these people who have contributed so much to that society are being forced to leave or not being allowed to return. And so those stories, even though they're not taking place in the Caribbean, are very much a part of the Caribbean story. And there are also immigration issues that Haitians are facing in Chile right now. I know there are at least two films that have come out this year, one a documentary, one a narrative feature about that. So we're casting our net very broadly and hoping that we hear and find stories from around the Caribbean diaspora that are really pertinent to our current moment and are told with a high degree of skill. And I love knowing that you're doing satellite programming too. You have an event coming up here in Miami on May 4th, a premiere of the Grace Jones film. We like to say that Grace Jones is one of the patron saints of Third Horizon because her story is incredible. She was born and grew up in the in Jamaican countryside. Her grandparents, 
her grandfather in particular, was from Nigeria, I believe. But yeah, she had a troubled childhood, but uh, went on to become this icon in fashion, in acting, in music, and has always colored outside of the lines. And from the inception of Third Horizon, she has been one of those guiding lights. She's led the way in many ways. The film really provides insight into a person who is masterful at wearing many masks, at becoming larger than life. And this documentary is such a rare and intimate look into what has molded her, what has made her who she is today. I've been around the block too many times. Around the globe is more like it. Hello! I had so much rage. I'm a gypsy. Please. Did you ever think that Grace would be a, a movie star? Sure, baby. Listen to me. I'm human, man. I'm human. I would be dishonest if I said that we didn't hope that one day we would make a Grace Jones documentary ourselves, but there has one that has been made, and it is great, and we're happy to be hosting the premiere of it here. And it's called Bloodlight and Bami? Yeah, Bami is a type of bread that they eat in Jamaica, and Bloodlight is a red, strong light that is used on stage and in music. So it very much harkens back to her roots, as does the film. A big part of the film is going with her on a trip to Jamaica, to where she grew up, and meeting some of her family. So, Jason, you're taking Third Horizon to London this June. Yeah, we're really excited to be co-presenting a screening with the Birkbeck Institute of the Moving Image in London. I must give a shout-out to our director of programming, Jonathan Ali, who hails from Trinidad but lives and works in London. He's spearheading that screening. We're screening two films which actually were a part of the 2016 program, the inaugural program of Third Horizon. Uh, one is called Memories of a Penitent Heart, and the other is The House on Coco Road. Because the UK is such a stronghold of the Caribbean diaspora and is currently facing issues around that, we're really excited to finally be doing a screening there because it's a city that we've wanted to have a presence in for a while now. Those stories are very poignant. The House on Coco Road... Oh, yeah. I remember being a little boy and watching the story of the Grenada Revolution and unfold in real time on television. I call the United States home, but this country has a painful legacy of violence that we still struggle to confront. Grenada, we were told, was a friendly island paradise for tourism. Well, it wasn't. It was a Soviet-Cuban colony being readied as a major military bastion to export terror and undermine democracy. We were trying to make sense of this world. One of the most important things that has to be done in the process of carrying out a revolutionary struggle is to merge the personal with the political, where they're no longer separate. You have this situation where we are trying to build a new society. Grenada is the southernmost of the Windward Islands in the West Indies. Here's a revolutionary government right here in our own hemisphere. It was a utopia. And the next thing I knew, she was packing you all up. I couldn't have been more than four years old at the time, but I remember being so confused. Just the idea that this country was being invaded by the U.S., by this country that had so much military might. It was actually quite terrifying because I would have been in the equivalent of kindergarten 
in Barbados. My teacher was from Grenada. And I remember watching that every night on the news and wondering, well, what about her family? What about her friends? How does she feel? Yeah, so that film really was a big hit at Third Horizon, a year one. It really touched people. As did the other film we're screening. Memories of a Penitent Heart is another deeply moving story about the director reconnecting with the story of her uncle who had been ostracized due to his homosexuality and then later his fight with HIV. Hi, is this Robert? Um, How are you? I'm good. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little shocked. I've often wondered how long it would take someone to reach me. And, you know, the thread that pops up time and time again in so many of these films is that of displacement, that of striving for one's autonomy, not being defined by the forces that have moved you into the position that you now occupy and striving to make a place for yourself in the world without sacrificing a single bit of who you are at your core, even if that is different to the narrative that has been on repeat for so long. It's just the nature of so many of these stories. Well, I love knowing that Miami has this opportunity for conversations about the stories and to show the stories every year. The festival comes up this September, 27 through 30. And O Cinema is your host every year. They're more than our host. It's also our home. We just moved into the building. It's where our offices are located. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, we're really excited to call it our home fully now. So what else do you want to share about the festival? This is actually the first year that we will be taking feature film submissions because in the past we have curated the feature film selection and taken submissions for short films. This year, however, we will be taking submissions for both. So I'm looking forward to seeing so much more work, discovering new creators. A big part of the festival, too, is that we realize that because the film industry in the Caribbean is so new, that it's important that we recognize other forms of storytelling within the region. And we do so through music programming and visual art programming. And so we're excited about having those two components within the festival. And we work closely with Christopher Cozier from Trinidad, artist, writer, thinker, curator. He's helped us with the vision of our visual art component. And we've also had the deep pleasure of working alongside curator Mikhail Solomon of the Prism Art Fair here in Miami in year one and in year two with the independent curator and writer Nicole Smith-Johnson. This year, we're also going to be featuring a heavy music component. So these two branches are vital to the festival because you know, these forms of expression are so important to the region. While we wait patiently for the September 2018 Third Horizon Festival, I want you to meet Jamaican artist Leisho Johnson. I encounter him for the first time in front of one of the murals that he was invited to paint on the walls of the lobby at O Cinema's Theater in Miami's Wynwood Arts District. On opening night of the 2017 festival, my conversation with Leisho Johnson begins in the midst of an exuberant celebration. We move into the quieter space of the cinema's gift shop to talk about the artist's practice back home in Jamaica and what it means to be invited to paint on the walls of an art cinema theater.
So you're based in Jamaica. Mm -hmm. Where in Jamaica? I work in Kingston. I have a studio that's in Bulby that's just a few miles out of Kingston. Your work is here at O Cinema in Wynwood. And how do you feel about how it looks? I love, I mean, every time I, I do this as an exercise, I have to look at it again because I work on a very small scale and then I blow it up. Me kind of have to redigest it in another way. And you were describing the work that you do back in Jamaica. Right. Often you use the wheat paste and right. the paper. Right. So you're putting up temporary yeah. installations. Right. And what is the scale of those? Similar scale, but probably longer, probably larger. That's something I get away with using the medium paper. You know, I can scale as large as I want. Or, but one of the main reasons is simply because it's quick. And I mean, it's an illegal activity, quote unquote. Because I mean, there isn't a lot of street art per se, but there is like a lot of signage, you know, dance posters. There is actually some organizations that you have to go through in order to do stuff like that. Well, you were talking about your practice right. as being an instigator. Yeah, I would like Jamaicans to kind of slow down and kind of think about their own self in a particular way. I mean, Kingston is a city like every other Kingston, you know, it's all about the hustle and the bustle. But I realize other societies put art in the public domain just to put a gap between those necessities and enrich your own lives. I want to do the same thing, but I have to break down something first. And that is the image, how we kind of perceive ourselves. Because it's not a very mature audience like the US, where they put abstract in, in the public and it seems as beautiful and stuff like that. The first thing that they'll probably do in having an abstract piece of artwork is there is the first a strange encounter and like they'll probably consider it as a waste of public money. So I'm trying to spread out the audience because right now the mature audience only lives in the galleries with the street art. I've taken what I've learned from the galleries and put it out there. You were describing street art in Jamaica as being more provocative yeah. and disapproved, I yeah, guess, yeah. than other forms of art. I think it's because the subject matter is dancehall. So dancehall doesn't really belong in it's behind a closed door it's in the ghetto it's not up full if you want to use that word civilized jamaicans it's something that is for the inner city and it doesn't belong here they said that why don't i take it downtown where a lot of inner city people reside but that for me is important the work in its way it interrupts it's a trickster it's like it's a troublemaker and i've created it for that particular purpose. I'm interested in sharing with our audience who might not know Jamaica and might not know what dance hall yeah, is. Sure. On an international level, everyone would probably know Sean Paul or Shaggy, but they're stemming from the same vein. Dance hall came about in the late 80s, 70s probably. It's kind of considered reggae too, if you want to be international in that way. It's a genre that kind of developed from that same strain. Ska, Rocksteady. As a culture, there is dance that's involved. There is a kind of ritual, if you want to call it. There's the DJ and there's a boombox and there's a set of people that occupies this space. And it's very polarized gender-wise. There's fashion that's involved. How would we describe one of your pieces, for um, example? I'd say that 
I deal with the human figure. And this is something that dancehall distorts. It's something that when it goes through dancehall, you'll be like, your eyes would probably be, you know, like saucers. Because you have a phenomenon of the past year that's called daggering, which is like turned up version of dry humping. That's literally the easiest way to describe it. It's heavy bass and it's radical way of representing themselves. But it's mostly about the figures. I've borrowed other aesthetics from it. I use what I call a shocking color red, which is a fluorescent red. But this is a color that we use in promoting on posters where a session would happen. And I've sampled that color and I've used it in my primary palette, if you want to call it. So one of the figures on the wall is like a woman's body that has become a tree. Right. Well, dancehall for me constantly put it in dialogue with like a lot of historical stereotype, if you want to call it that way. Bananas is something that Jamaican is kind of known for growing. It's a nude a, figure yeah. that as it reaches up is a banana tree. Right, right. What I was trying to do is talk about how stereotypes describe a set of people. And this is a stereotype that has been handed down through colonization. So from colonization, we're a set of people that were placed there for a particular reason, for cultivating crops, tropical exotic fruits to go to the UK or wherever the colony plans on putting these foods. I'm just kind of synthesizing both these stereotypes, both the body as a property, if you want to call it that way, and the banana tree as that same entity that belongs to that same space. What do you want people to take away from the experience of your work in an urban space? <laughs> We're kind of just trying to broaden an idea of ourselves in a way through our art. We express these subjects in many different ways. I tend to take on a more brash approach. That's probably why a lot of people be like, oh my God, you know, you're so bold to actually do stuff like this. But I like to give you a tickle. I like to disturb a little bit more. That's just part of my own practice, really. In 2017, Third Horizon brought more than a few great Caribbean films to Miami. One of them was Tezen, a haunting coming-of-age story by Haitian-American filmmaker Shirley Bruno. Tezen transports us to a remote region of Haiti where nature is a powerful magnetic force on one of her daily treks to fetch water for her family, a restless young woman discovers a secret grotto and a spirit fish who invites her to taste pure water. Her senses are awakened. When she brings the water home, her family begins to suspect the origins of its taste and to question the girl's purity. In March 2018, I had the chance to meet filmmaker Shirley Bruno after a public screening of Tezen at the Wolfsonian Museum on Miami Beach. My name is Shirley Bruno. I'm a filmmaker of the film Tezen. I'm based currently in Paris, but I'm Haitian-American, and I'm at times based in New York and Haiti. And this film is a film I made in 2016. It's getting older now, and I'm hoping that it ages okay. You could come to that story in so many ways, the coming of age. I found myself feeling almost that there was a concern for her safety. It's scary to grow up, so I think that's a really interesting 
thing that you're saying because you can understand in a way why certain characters did what they did because you have the mother who chooses to do something about their relationship. You have the brother and I think they do have her protection or her, they're concerned but it's complicated also their response to her relationship to the spirit. But the idea of adventure and finding a space of her own is a big theme, I think. She hardly speaks in the film. We hear her sing, we see her gestures, we see the way she is when she collects water, and all the love and care and curiosity that she has, it's all unsaid, it's all there. This longing, this restlessness that's just an inherent part of adolescence and she explores it in a unique way. So I think the spirit of Tizan definitely represents so many complex things in this way. This danger, her coming into her own. I think it's really significant that your film based on the Q&A at the end had such an appeal and international relevance for men and women, yeah. an African-American man and then a French woman, yeah. both relating in an intimate way, that responding to the story. The film is very specific. It's very Haitian, the story is, but I think the more specific you get with stories, the more universal they end up feeling and people relate to them. It's a strange dichotomy that happens, but I find that that is completely the case. And like I was saying in the Q&A, there was a Thai person who came to me with so many parallels with stories he knows. And people from different places have reacted in this way. But that's what happens with myths. That's why I'm so interested in them because they speak to something very deep, unconscious, a collective memory that we have, and they hit us in such powerful ways. Wherever the stories come from, I think they deal with ambiguous things about human nature, things that we all relate to, like family, like danger, like coming of age. It's all, in the end, the themes are universal. Being a woman with Haitian heritage, mm -hmm. how does that impact the way you tell stories? There are so many untold stories, Haitian stories, so many. And I'm just like impassioned to tell them as many as I can, the ones that reflect my experience. So it's cool in that way. To me, it's just a great motivation to share my culture, to share these stories to the world as much as I can. That is a great resource, I think, to know that there is so much there. We have such a very, very rich storytelling tradition as well. And I think cinema is a zeitgeist art. It's the most powerful place at this time to tell stories. So I feel lucky to be in this place and time. I think it's only positives, the things that I bring as a woman or as a, a Haitian American. The world is wide open and there are people who want to hear the stories as well. They don't even know it, but once they get a taste, then you realize, oh, you, you haven't seen this flavor, this nuance, and people are curious and interested and engaged. Today we expand on our conversation about Florida's 
Caribbean connection. I recorded a great conversation with filmmaker Shirley Bruno during the first ever Tumont Festival. The cultural services of the French Embassy in the United States partnered with the France Florida Foundation for the Arts and other community organizations to launch what aims to become an annual presentation of art, performance, film, and literature in Miami. The backstory of this festival is celebrating the cultural and intellectual impact of the Caribbean. The festival takes its name and its concept from the multidisciplinary poet, novelist, and theorist, Edouard Glissant. Born in Martinique in 1928, Glissant posed questions about our assumptions of the natural in culture, the exclusion of black people from culture as an ongoing effect of decolonization, and the poetics of global relationships. His work established the Caribbean perspective as a model for understanding global change. Glissant developed many new terms as a theorist, such as écomonde, the world of things resonating one with the other, chaos monde, a world that cannot be systematized, and the festival's namesake, tout monde, the world in its entirety. Inspired by his ideas, the festival curators aim to bring together artists and thinkers in a multidisciplinary event that highlights the pivotal role of Caribbean cultural innovators. The night before the festival opening, I meet Clément Leclerc, French consul in Miami, Vanessa Selk, Miami's French cultural attaché, and this year's curators, Johanna Oguiac and Claire Tancon to learn more about the festival that would activate four Miami venues, the Paris Art Museum, the Wolfsonian, Little Haiti Culture Center, and the Mana Contemporary Exhibition Space in Wynwood. Okay, France, you said earlier that France is a Caribbean country. Tell me what you meant. Yes, I meant that France is proudly present in the region through a variety of uh, communities and territories namely uh, la Martinique, la Guadeloupe, Saint-Martin, Saint-Barthélemy, and la Guyane. And we're talking about one million French citizens that are living in these territories and that participate in this Caribbean uh, community. And so that's a message that we are conveying here in Miami, that France is part of that community, part of that region, and part of the cultural exchanges. Vanessa, what motivated the French consul in Florida, Miami, to take this on. I think the Caribbean really deserves this attention. So what motivated us as a cultural service in partnership with the consulate was to really shed a new light on the Caribbean. In Miami, it seemed obvious. So it is a cultural Caribbean hub. Here we have populations from Haiti, from Cuba, from the Dominican Republic, from Puerto Rico, and they are all together here. And this Culture Caribbean Hub was just an amazing opportunity for us to actually work together. Our work is to promote the cultural exchanges between France and Florida and Puerto Rico here. So it was absolutely the best place ever to launch such a festival. 
I want to introduce again the notion of monde, which shapes the first edition of the festival, and go back to the reasons that have led us to think that the questions of autonomy or heteronomy indeed, mm-hmm. meaning thinking self through other, thinking relationally, was pertinent to address specifically from the Caribbean. As I began to mention, the world around, there seems to be uh, popular movements and political thinking towards a repossession of self and questioning of models of governance which no longer seem suiting to cultural identities that think of themselves as specific to particular kinds of identity formation. To put it simply, what do the French West Indies, Guadeloupe, Martinique, French Guyana, have to contribute to the debates that have animated the European Union with the exit of Great Britain, have to contribute with the crisis of Spanish legitimacy with the Catalonian region, and have to contribute with the ever-vexing question of the specificity of Corsican identity in France. As you understand, and even as I may speak as the Guadeloupian I was born to be, this is not about waving any flag of independence. We've long passed that moment. But it is about thinking in keeping with the Puerto Rican academic Yerima Bonilla, to whom we will be speaking on Friday at the Little Haiti Cultural Center, it is to think about the way in which Guadeloupe, Martinique, Guyana, and other French overseas territories have been rethinking models of governance in discussion with France, as opposed to simply in opposition to it, as may have been the case in earlier decades. So it is to turn the tide around and to think of the French Antilles as leaders in terms of political thinking on notions of governance. It is fully fulfilling Glissant's vision of thinking the world through the Caribbean. And I think that it is significant to think that the Caribbean can be world leaders on some of the most pertinent questions of the day. So I know that this concept may seem wordy or complex, but in fact they're rather pedestrian, commonplace, and most importantly, topical. So I really want us to think beyond the confines of the Caribbean and think of the Caribbean in the world. The festival is as much about the Caribbean in Miami as it is about the Caribbean in the world and the Caribbean as the world. Opening night of the inaugural Toumont Festival took place at the Paris Art Museum. A highlight was the improvised performance of saxophonist Jacques Schwartzbart with dancer Lena Blau. Originally from Guadeloupe, Schwartzbart combines traditional spiritual music practices with North American and European jazz traditions. He's known as the creator of two growing styles, guoka jazz and voodoo jazz. 
Lena Blau mixes many traditions of the Caribbean with folk and modern dance from around the world. Blau has a deep familiarity with the tradition of guoka, a ritual of drumming, singing, and dance that originated in Guadeloupe following the transatlantic slave trade. My name is Jacques Schwartzbart. I'm a jazz composer, performer, and I'm also a professor at Berkeley College of Music. I have explored a wide range of styles. One of my field of exploration has been the combination of uh, different Afro-Caribbean styles of music and modern jazz. So I guess this is based on that side of my work that I'm here representing the Small Antilles. Have you performed with her before? Never. We never performed one second before uh, we stepped on that stage tonight. Now, the performance, they were describing a certain style of movement that the dancer was using that was connected with the Caribbean? That's her style of dancing called the bigidi, based on loss of equilibrium and a way to catch yourself as you fall. That kind of defines her style of dancing. And how did it feel? The goal was to make it a live conversation between sounds and movement. Tried as much as possible to remain connected to what she was doing and she tried to remain committed to what I was doing. What's interesting is that our styles seem to be naturally matching. Um, we, we, we're all surprised that, that it works so well. We wanted to keep the dialogue totally open. Artistic communication, using all the tools that we honed in our long career of exploration, her in her discipline and me in mine. Toumont featured lectures, film screenings, performances, and a photography exhibition, with work by nine artists of Caribbean origin, including three Miami-based multimedia artists. On opening night at the Paris Art Museum, I get the chance to meet a couple of the artists who came here from the Caribbean. Shirley Rufin from Martinique talks about the impact of moving across cultures. Your name is? Shirley Rufin. I'm a photographer. I deal with the body and the many ways you can explain and make the differences between nude or naked in a post-colonial society like Martinique, because I was born in France. My mother and my grandmother are English people, and we don't have the same mentality about the body, about the way you can exhibit and show to the people. And that's very interesting because when you take some people in picture with photographies, they want to identify the body. And I try to make an anonymous body that you can know if it's a woman or it's a man or it's a couple or what is it. You lose the sense of the body between soul and body. I discharge it. Artist Kelly Senapa Marie has roots in Guadeloupe for the Toumont photo exhibition. She created an installation exploring emotions sparked by returning home. Qu'est-ce que vous en pensez de tout ça? When I ask her impression of the first Toumont festival, she says she's glad to participate. She considers it a beautiful opportunity for Caribbean artists working in different media. 
both visual art and performance. C'est vraiment une belle opportunité pour les artistes caribéens. What will you be showing in the exhibition? I'll be showing uh, an installation. In my installation, I'm presenting a painting and some object. I talk about uh, immigrants. Je vais présenter une installation, cahier d'un non-retour au pays natal, qui parleront... Uh, the artist explains that her work is inspired by a trip home to her birthplace. Her installation explores how descendants of immigrants reconstruct their identity. This theme runs through her practice. The series is a work in progress. Is this your first time in Miami? Kelly's been in Miami before. She showed work at the Paris Art Museum, where we're talking now. She was in a show curated by Elvis Fuentes, the Caribbean, crossroads of the world. She's happy to be here again. Weeks after the first Toumont festival brought together a dozen creatives from around the Caribbean, artist Mirto Lenge reached out to share his reflections on the festival's Caribbean moment in Miami. Lenge, a photographer based in French Guiana, investigates how society, geography, and history influence culture. Today, I'm speaking on Skype with Myrto Lenguet, and the occasion that brought us together was the first ever Toumont Festival, which wanted to bring French Caribbean contemporary art to Miami. I would like to say something. I don't consider my work being basically only into the Caribbean. My work is supposed to be universal, actually. I don't want to be in, engaged in a box. The festival was an occasion, and I really appreciate it, actually. The fact is that we should look work of people without trying to define the person through his skin's color or his culture, because culture, for me, is whatever we do. Everything we are doing, actually, is cultural. Even speaking right now on Skype is a cultural action. Let's talk about where you're from. What culture surrounds your creative practice, your everyday life? Actually, I'm talking from the so-called French Guyana, which is in South America. Nearby this territory, there is Suriname and Brazil. It's quite a small piece on a big, big, big land. So I was born there in French Guyana, actually. Did you do all your art studies there? What kind of cultures have informed your growth as an artist? I started studying photography in French Guiana, a land which has been created by the French people in 1643. They decided to conquer this space and some later on they brought some slaves. Basically, my work cannot be separated from this historical situation. When I was young and I've tried to understand things and I was also was trying to find a work for myself and I decided to do photography later on and I went in Paris and I've been studying photography. Then I went to Zurich for almost six or seven years and I decided to go back to French Guyana because I I could not sustain anymore the situation because wherever I was going, it was always the same problematic. Every time I was presenting myself, the first thing people was referencing was, oh, you are black. Why is that? First of all, I want to work. Secondly, I want to be a photographer and I don't want to be a colorist. Logically speaking, we should look at people 
like people because when someone with white is looking at another picture it doesn't say oh this is a white person on the picture but anytime someone like me for example is doing a picture and the person look at the picture the first thing they say oh he's black as part of the festival there was an exhibition of photography could we describe one of the images that you showed so our listeners could imagine what they would see So if for example I take one of the most popular picture of uh, Flora you have a character it's a lady which is out of all what we call the standard she's taking the wall space and she's not dressed but she has a mask all over the body that you don't see any more a person you rather try to understand is it a person is it an animal is it an object so they decide to take a piece of what is called flora which is much more about mythology but not the mythology i have been learning in school but the mythology i've decided to create by on my own trying to say i can also have my own vision as a person and wherever i live if i decide to see something differently and i can make a statement because as a person i have the right and the possibility to do it then for me it's like a reaction but just to show that people are supposed to be their own sustained unit so is the poet leon gontran damas an inspiration for many of your works particularly for the black dolls project at leon gontran damas i used to read his poetry he wrote since 1930s because he's one of the person who was in the middle of what they call the negritude movement in france with aimé césaire and leopold sedar senghor and in this poetry is talking about bring back my black dolls when i i was reading this poetry i decided that i would like to represent this poetry so i decided to create the black dolls project The black dolls were seen in the United States in Washington DC this last year. This work has been shown in the Anacostia Art Center gallery in Washington DC. In the meantime, one of the speaker won the first prize in the Photo Week DC in the fine art category. So What's your takeaway from being part of the Tumont Festival or showing your work in the US what avenues does it open for you the most interesting thing is that when you show a work like because in french guyana we don't have so much possibilities to show our work on a, let's say a major scene being in paris would be much more effective maybe or being in in the united states but the thing is that today as i decided i prefer to produce most of my work in french guyana I know that I have sometimes to come on those places to show my work in order to find some more opportunities. French Guiana is a small country, it's like a small island on the South American territory, so it's very difficult to make our voice be heard. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. Today we're reflecting on two young cultural initiatives that aim to strengthen Miami's connection to the Caribbean. Drawing on their diverse individual and collective histories, artists and filmmakers from the Caribbean hold up a mirror to the world, revealing the importance of sharing laughter, love and poetry, natural beauty, hidden memories and social injustice in the best of their bold and insightful work. These are not the first conversations to represent South Florida's vibrant Caribbean connection. In the Fresh Art International podcast archive, anywhere you go to listen, 
You'll find stories about the origin of Miami's Diaspora Vibe Cultural Arts Initiative and the birth of the neighborhood that's officially designated Little Haiti. Visit freshartinternational.com to learn more and hear other conversations about contemporary creativity in the Caribbean. We invite you to subscribe, rate, and review Fresh Art International anywhere you go for podcasts. It means a lot to know you're listening. Thanks to followers like you, we've been sharing these conversations since 2011. If you like what you're hearing, go to freshartinternational.com and click on the red support button to give what you can. Stay tuned for more contemporary art talk.